tell you about this little card that's in your seats. Um, you pick one of these up and look at it for just a second. It says, we are family on the front. Now, this, is, this has several purposes. One, you can use it if you look at it. Each, each of the titles for the series will be, for the messages we're going to be walking through is on there. But it also has some scripture passages that you can use in your own quiet time, um, your own time with God. And then it has some songs on there that you can listen to as well. So we give that to you just as a resource. But this could also be a, an invitation card. You can use this to give to a neighbor or a coworker or family member and say, hey, come to church with me. We're doing this series called We Are Family um, and, and invite somebody to, to come with you. Um, so today we're starting this series called We Are Family. But here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about your family. We're, we're not actually talking about the people you're related to at all. We're not going to talk about the people you grew up with or who live in the house with you. Like, this is not a series on the traditional nuclear family. We're not even going to define what makes up an individual family because it's truly different for a lot of people in this room. This isn't a series on marriage or parenting or getting along with the people in your house. You see, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word family. Um, we all probably have a different image. Some of us, those images are positive. Some of us, those images are negative. Some of you may have grown up with a wonderful family. A family where you belonged and people loved each other and were committed to each other and maybe they stayed together and they encouraged one another and they forgave each other. You see, here's what I know and you know this too, that even in the best families, things are not easy and sometimes very messy. You see, some of you, some of you in this room, and in fact, probably a lot of us, maybe grew up in a very dysfunctional family or broken family, where maybe people didn't love each other like they were supposed to, or maybe they didn't commit to one another or didn't forgive each other. And, and maybe for you, maybe family really wasn't a safe place. And maybe the word family, like on this painting, it's not that great of a word. It just doesn't seem like that great of a word for you. But over the next five weeks, over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about something bigger than just the people we're related to. We're going to talk about something that God invites us into that's way bigger than what makes up a traditional family. You see, here, here's the thing. When Jesus showed up in this world, he did something no one had ever done. In fact, he did a lot of things no one had ever done, but, but there's one mysterious thing he began to say about God that nobody had ever said before. He began to call God Father. In fact, in fact, he uses the word Abba, which technically would be translated more like Papa or Daddy. He began to call God the creator of the universe, the almighty God, the God who his name at this point was not even really supposed to be spoken. The name of Yahweh was not really supposed to be written or spoken. And yet God, Jesus shows up and brings that God who's mysterious and distant and, and, and sometimes unknown. And Jesus brings him very close and calls him daddy. And that's crazy. In fact, it wasn't just revolutionary. The people around him thought it was blasphemous, that it was sacrilegious. You can't refer to God like that. And Jesus did. And then he invited us to refer to God like that. That when we talked to God, he said, 
He's your Father. He's your Daddy. And when you cry out to Him, cry out, Abba, Daddy. You see, when Jesus showed up, He began to invite people to know God in a whole new way. When Jesus showed up, He invited us to see God for who He really is. That God wasn't just a king or a judge or creator. He wasn't distant or unknown. But God has always wanted to be your dad. He's always wanted you to be His children. And see, sin separated us from Him. And sin caused brokenness and dysfunction and and every separation, everything that happens in normal families, it happened spiritually to us as well, and it separated us from God. But Jesus showed up. This is what Christmas was all about, you guys. We just celebrated this, right? It said that Jesus was the light coming in the darkness. He, he was the light coming into the darkness to, to show us the truth, to show us who God really is. I want you to look at John chapter 1. If you've got um, your phones or your Bibles, you can turn over to John chapter 1. It'll also, we're going to jump around a little bit with some scriptures this morning, so you may or may not be able to, to keep up with me. Um, our notes, as always, are on the Version app, so if you have the Holy Bible app by Version, you can always go and find our notes under Events. Search for Church at Kimbe and you can find it there. It's also on the screen, so you can follow along, and you've got the back of your program, so if you want to take some notes, you can. But we're going to start out in the first chapter of John. Now, we read this over Christmas, and I'm going to read it again. In John chapter 1, starting in verse 9, it says this. The true light... Now, who is the true light? Yes, whenever you don't know the answer, just say Jesus. Yep. Um, the, tr- the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. Isn't that amazing? Like, it says he created the world, but then he showed up in the world and they didn't really recognize him. Right? But it says he was the true light. Look at verse 11. He came to his own and his people did not receive him. But here's the great part. Here's verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, here's what Jesus, here's what it's saying right now. That Jesus invites us to become children of God. Not, not normal family children. Not nuclear family. Not the broken, messed up, dysfunctional families that we're all a part of. And he, he invites us into a whole new kind of family. To become children of the God who made you and knows you and loves you and has a plan for you. And Jesus says, now you can be his child if you believe and follow me. You see, here's what you need to know. That following Jesus, believing in Jesus, makes us children of God. I don't know if you knew this, but you are not automatically a child of God. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. You were created by God. You were made in His image. He knows you and He loves you, but He allows you to not be His child. And yet He makes a way for you to be adopted, come home to Him, come back to Him and know Him as your father, as your dad. See, you see, Jesus invited us into a whole new family. Not a blood-related family, not the way the world defines it, not with all the brokenness and dysfunction. But He invites us to be adopted by the One who made you and has always wanted you. 
don't know what growing up was like for you. And I don't know what your family is like. But you have a heavenly Father who is who has always wanted you. He's always wanted you. And His arms are open wide. And He's always wanted to be your daddy. You know the best part of that? Is that about 2,000 years ago, He sent His Son to come and pay for your adoption and to invite you home to be in the family you were always meant to be. Look at this passage from Romans. And Paul is writing to followers of Jesus. And look at what he says to them. Now that you've believed in Jesus, look what he says. In verse 15 of Romans chapter 8, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, and look, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit Himself, God's Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him then in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You see what that says? That not only are we children of God, not only are we children of God, but we're joint heirs with Jesus. Like we inherit everything that belongs to God now belongs to us when we believe in Jesus. Now see, I don't know how you see God. I don't know how you grew up thinking of God or visualizing Him. And maybe even calling Him Daddy or Father. Maybe that has strings attached to it and creates problems for you because of maybe the way you saw your father growing up. Or maybe your father wasn't there. And so picturing God, or, or maybe your father was was not, was abusive or absent or aggressive or had a bad temper. And all the dysfunction that may, you may see in your own father, you, you, you may apply to God. And yet God invites you to know him as the perfect father. You know something, no matter how you see your family or your father, you were made for God's family. You were made for His family. And it's only then that you find your real identity, your real purpose. See, when Jesus showed up, He came to get you. He came to show you who God is and how much you're loved and wanted. And He came to pay for your adoption and the papers have been signed. And if you accept what Jesus has done for you, guess what? You have a new name, a new life, a new purpose, a new destiny, a new family forever. And you have a God, a dad, who will never leave you. Guys, I want to talk to you for just a second. So, men, when you were little, do you remember um, when you were young and your friends, maybe you guys would stand around and you would say crazy things about your dad that weren't true? Like, maybe you did this. Not everybody I know did this, but I can remember some boys on the playground would stand around and some boys would say, well, you know, my dad could beat up your dad. Did, did you ever say that? Because that's really mean. I'm just kidding. Or, or you'd say things like, well, my dad has a Lamborghini. And, you know, we all knew his dad didn't have a Lamborghini. But it's like, well, we all tried to one-up each other. And then another kid might say, well, my, my dad could throw a football over that mountain. Or my dad can lift 500 pounds with one finger. Like, we all were 
We're, we're trying to make our dad maybe better than he, than he really was. See, maybe the truth about your dad wasn't really as great as any of those things. But here's, here's the crazy thing. When you trust in Jesus, you not only become children of God, everything that belongs to your heavenly father belongs now to you. The greatest dad ever, the dad who owns everything, who knows everything, who can do anything, he keeps his promises. He's good and he's faithful and he never leaves. And when you follow Jesus, you have a new dad. You see, here's the thing, though. You're not only children of God, but you become co-heirs with Jesus. This passage we just read says you become fellow heirs with Christ. What that means is you're now, in some crazy way, brothers and sisters to Jesus, the Savior of the world. The Son of God becomes your brother, and you become a son of God and a daughter of God with Jesus. Is that not the craziest thing ever? Like, have you ever pictured Jesus as your brother? Like, one day... Jesus was talking to some of his disciples in a house, and they were sitting around talking. And at this point, Jesus' family, was start, his real family, like his mother and his, his brothers, and they were starting to say, you know, maybe Jesus is a, he's going too far. Maybe he's, he's saying radical, crazy things about God, and, and, and maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's crazy. And so they went to settle him down. Right? They show up at this house, and they're like going to talk some sense into Jesus. Now, later on, just so you know, his mothers and his brothers became his biggest followers. So just understand that. But at this point, they were wondering, like, what's going on with him? And, and like, he, he, they, they weren't quite sure. And so they show up at this house to talk some sense into Jesus. And, and you know what Jesus says? Look at this. It says in Matthew 12, 49, it says, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, Jesus pointed to his disciples who were following him. And he said, these are my mother and my brothers. Look at verse 50. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and mother. Isn't that interesting? You know, we use the word disciple a lot. We talk about Jesus' 12 disciples. We talk a lot here at Church of Cane Bay about being a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Which just means to follow Jesus and look to Jesus as our leader. And what does it mean? What does a disciple look like? And how does a, a disciple follow Jesus? And the word disciple is used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the first five books of the New Testament, the word disciple is used. But after the book of Acts, do you know the, the word disciple almost kind of disappeared? And you know what word replaces it? The word brother. All of a sudden, this family that Jesus creates, these followers of Jesus, all of a sudden they begin to call each other brothers and sisters. They begin to act like a family and look like a family and love each other like a family. Early Christians began to call each other brothers and sisters because that's who they are. Because think about it. If following Jesus makes God our papa, our daddy, then you and I, if we're heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus, when we follow Jesus, we become brothers and sisters of each other. We become a family. Now, here's the thing. 
I really believe the church of Jesus, and I, listen, I'm not talking about just a church like First Baptist or First Presbyterian or Church at King Bay. I'm not talking about an individual church, but the church of Jesus, the church, the followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus are brothers and sisters. They've always meant to be a family. It, the church is not supposed to be like a family. It is a family. It is a group of brothers and sisters who love each other. Listen, let me just say this, and I don't know if you agree with me about this or not, but listen, the church was never supposed to be an institution. It was never supposed to be a club or an event or even a charitable organization. It was supposed to be a community of people who radically were committed to one another, who belonged to one another, who fought for one another, who served one another, who challenged one another, who encouraged one another, who forgive one another, because that's what a family is supposed to do. And maybe your family didn't do that, but God's family is supposed to look like that. You don't attend a family. You don't shop for a family. You don't hop from family to family. We have reduced church to something Jesus never intended it to be. You don't show up and watch a family. You are a family when you follow Jesus. I want to I read to you a description of the early church from the book of Acts. And it says this, look, from Acts chapter 2, it says, all who believed, in other words, everyone who believed in Jesus, look what it says, were together. They were together. I, I don't know what all that means, but they were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's crazy! Are you with me? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they were eating together and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, you look what they were doing. Look, it says they were together. They had all things in common. They shared everything with one another. They took care of each other's needs. They ate their meals together. They met in homes. And everybody on the outside looked in and said, that is what I want to be a part of. Like, that's a community no one would not want to stay away from. It sounds like the way a family is supposed to be, and it's what the church looked like. And I'm telling you, I believe in our world that the church looked more like a family and less like an event to show up at. I don't think when the world outside looks at the church, they think of family. Um, so... About nine years ago, um, my family and I had the opportunity to live overseas in Ethiopia, in East Africa, for a year. And what I didn't anticipate is that I would never see American culture the same again. In fact, when we returned home, it's a little bit hard on us. We began to notice things that we had never noticed before. Now, hear me. I consider it a privilege and a wonderful thing to be an American citizen, to live here in the freedom and the independence we have. I really do. But when I moved back from Ethiopia, one of the things I noticed about American culture is how radically independent and individualistic everyone is in America. 
You see, in many other parts of the world, people can't survive without each other. They need each other. There's an interdependence in families and in churches and in communities. But see, here's the thing. Our country was founded on independence and individual rights. And I understand that and appreciate it. I really do. And yet, at some point, we almost consider it the American dream to do it yourself and fight for yourself and have it your way and look out for number one and build a life where you don't depend on or need anyone else. And that, I'm just telling you, that is not what Jesus invites us into. You see, I realize that we live in a world where we can live in Cane Bay, where we can touch our neighbor's house and never know our neighbor's name. Like, that's crazy. We, we live with this radical independence and individualism that says, I don't need anybody. I can do it myself, and I will fight for myself, and I will look out for myself. And somehow we think that's right and good. And if statistics are true, our culture is one of the loneliest, most disconnected and depressed cultures on the planet. We hide from each other, and we try to make it on our own. And we secretly compare and criticize and covet each other on social media. We are desperate for family to be known and to know and to be interdependent and to help each other and serve each other and love each other. And maybe your family didn't work that way or doesn't work that way, but the church is supposed to work that way. So in this series, we're going to be sharing some books with you and one of the books they're they're out in the bookstore and you can check them out on the way in and you can grab one and there's we've, we've got a few but you can go on Amazon and get them as well but one of the books is when the church was a family by a guy named Joseph Hellerman and it is a fantastic book you should pick it up and read it it will change the way you see the church but look look at this quote Joseph Hellerman says this we in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams goals and personal fulfillment ought to take precedent, precedence over the well-being of any group, our church or our family. So we leave or withdraw rather than stay and grow up when the going gets rough in the church or in the home. You see, that's what happens in church, but it's also what happens in families, isn't it? When things get hard, when things get tough, just look at the stats. Imagine if families, imagine if families were placed safe places where you belong, where you were loved, where you were committed, where nobody ever left, where everybody said, I can count on here, I can come back here, I know that my, you've got my back, we fight for each other, we sacrifice for each other. Imagine if families were that way. Imagine if churches were that way. Imagine if the church really was the family of God. Where no matter what you have done, you have a safe place where you're welcome. No matter what has happened to you, it is a community where nobody lives for themselves anymore, but we live for each other. Where we say, you 
matter. You belong. And we will lock arms with you and have your back no matter what. Where you love your neighbor as yourself. Where we don't compare or criticize, but we serve one another. We fight for one another. We sacrifice for one another. All together for the single mission of displaying and declaring to every man, woman, and child who's not a part of our family that we want you to be a part of our family and our dad wants you to. Like, what if the church looked like that? See, that's my prayer and my hope for the church at Cane Bay. That's why we're starting off this year talking about family. That we, more than anything else, want to be a family people who are following Jesus and living out his mission in this world. You see, that's what our church ought to be. Not a place to show up. Not a building. Not, not, not any of those things, but a family of people who are committed to one another. At the beginning of every year, we, we do this thing in January where we invite everyone to re-up or renew their partnership or become partners of our church. And, and, and it's not what we ask people to, to do is to commit to one another, that together we're not just spectators or attenders, but we see this church as a family. It's not a place, it's not a building, but it's a family. And family cannot exist without commitment, without commitment to love each other and serve each other and give to one another. And so every January, we invite people to sign partner covenants. And, and when, it's just a little piece of paper with like a family covenant that says, here's what we're committing to one another so that we can count on each other. And when you sign a partner covenant, what you're doing is you're committing to be in a missional community. And in a missional community that meets in homes where you eat together and learn together and belong together and serve together, that's what the church does. And you commit to be in a huddle with somebody else, another guy or another lady where you sit down across the table at Chick-fil-A or at Starbucks or on your back patio and you just read the Bible together and you pray together and you encourage one another because that's what family does. And you commit to, you commit to giving your time and your talent and your treasure for the sake of God's family and God's mission. You see at Church of Cambay, there are no lifelong partners. Every year, we re-up and say, hey, I'm going to be a partner. I, this is my family, and I'm in. I'm all in. There are covenants that are going to be available every Sunday. At the back of this room and in the lobby, you'll see little tables where it's set up, and you can sign your partner covenant. Or here's what you might want to do. If you've never signed one before, you might just want to pick it up, and you might want to take it home, and you might want to read what you're committing to before you commit. And you might want to pray about it with your family and say, with your family, are we a part of this family called Church at Cane Bay? And are we all in? And then all, all, every Sunday through the month of January, you can turn them in in the basket at the back. Listen, at Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he was crucified, you remember he, he was in this upper room and they were eating a meal together and he washed their feet before the meal? And then they sat down and they ate dinner together like a family. And, and then he passes around, remember, the bread and the wine, and he's, he starts to explain to them what's going to happen to him. He's going to give his body, and his blood's going to be spilled for them. I don't know if they got it fully. But then the last thing he said to them 
that evening when he was eating with, with them was, was this statement. In John 13, 34, Jesus looks at them and he says, A new commandment I give you. Now, now stop for a second and listen. He's saying something huge there. I'm giving you a whole new commandment. They knew a lot of commandments from the law in the Old Testament, right? And Jesus says, guess what, guys? I'm giving you a whole new commandment. And look what he says. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Now, that's pretty crazy that we're supposed to love each other the way Jesus loves us. That's pretty radical and crazy. But look at the next part, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know what that means? That I believe when we start becoming a family, when we love each other like brothers and sisters, and we serve each other, and give to one another, and forgive one another. It's in doing that that somehow the world outside looks and they see that we belong to Jesus. And they see who He is. There's no greater display of who we are and who Jesus is than the way we love one another. The church is not supposed to be defined by their services or their children's ministry or how great the music is or their building or even their theological creeds and confessions. The church is supposed to be defined by how we love one another. And I know, I know churches aren't perfect because they're made up of people like me. Sinful, messed up people who are just trying to follow Jesus. But you see, when followers of Jesus like us, when we begin to give up our lives for one another, when we stop attending and we start surrendering, when we stop being casual consumers and we start being a family, I believe it's the most convincing evidence in all the world of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I think deep down, I think the world looks at the church and they don't think family, but what if they did? What if they looked at us and they saw a family that loved each other? Because I believe everyone wants a family like that. You see, I believe the world is dying to be invited into God's family. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us because over the next five weeks, here's what's going to happen. We're going to be talking about what this looks like as a church. Today, we're just diving in and we've just gotten this far. But see, in Romans chapter 12, we're going to be going through Romans chapter 12 over the next five weeks. And we're going to be talking about what is the church supposed to look like? What is a family? What is the family of God? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be? And over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about that. And I pray that you're here for that. And I want you to know this. I am glad to be your brother. And I'm glad to be a part of this family.
So I want to pray that we would be the family of God. In his name, Barry, would you pray with me?